0: welcome to the access church podcast grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon jesus uh thank you uh for not just telling us about life but showing us when we read history god if any of us are into philosophy and world religions uh you're the only one that doesn't just talk to us and talk about us, but you actually model life for us. You give us hope. You're not looking to judge, you're looking to free. You're not looking to condemn, you're looking to love. And God, I pray that we'd understand today, I pray that every single person here from the children to whoever's the oldest person in the room, probably you, Stan, God bless you, right? But may we all really understand that this life is not about money, not even about children, education, our looks that we're created for something more. And we know it, just many of us deny it because it's almost overwhelming to our souls to think about it. May we be okay with reality and embrace it because it's good. In your name, Jesus, amen. Um, so there's a, a, an author, Kate um, McGahan, I think, or McGahan, Kate McGahan. She was a hospice worker for 25 years, saw a lot of pain and suffering, became an author. And this is what she says, the very first Easter taught us this, that life never ends and love never dies. The very first Easter teaches us this, life doesn't end and love never dies. We're gonna be looking at Luke chapter 24 and that, that chapter uh, we talked about before that that Luke was someone that was investigating Christianity, if you didn't know that. He was investigating the validity of Christianity and he really shows Jesus different than the other biographies do um, as far as the variety of people that Jesus loved to interact with. You'll be blown away if you stick with us through this series over the next three months. We're gonna be looking at how did Jesus interact with people? What did he actually say? What did he believe? And what does he want us to know? Rather than you hearing from your parents, or maybe you're from a teacher in college, or maybe you just think up God on your own. You're like, I just think if I was God, this is how I'd do it. Well, the problem is you're not God. And if you didn't know that, you just learned something today. You're not, right? And so if God is God, if that's true, maybe he should speak for himself. And so it's pretty fascinating. So Luke is someone that's investigating the, the validity. And one of the things he's investigating the validity of is did Jesus really die and rise again? Because I don't know if you guys know this, that doesn't happen a lot. Has anyone had a resurrection happen in their family lately or with friends? No, nah, it's not usually normal. Like you show up to a small group, you're like, oh yeah, I had two people, they resurrected from the dead today. It's like, oh yeah, that's pretty, you know, it's not normal, right? And I always think it's interesting when people are like, well, that just can't happen. God can't do that. And it's like, well, then you have a very small view of God because you're not God if you can't do miracles. Thus, miracles should be present if there's a God that's present. When I lack miracles in my life, a lot of times I'm lacking God in my life because he's powerful, he's beyond us. Otherwise, he's not God, he's just another human being. So Luke is investigating this, and we're going to start as far as looking at the validity of it in chapter 24, and then I'm going to look at the meaning of it at the end, the validity of it and the meaning of it really quickly. And hopefully this just kind of gives you some perspective today before you go and just stuff yourself and fall into a comatose sleep and just write, but we'll we'll do with this. All right, Luke 24, verse one. This is how it went down. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and, and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb and when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And so there's an interaction here and we see that, that there was actually an angel there and telling the women like, hey, why are you here? Um, He's risen. And so then it says that in verse nine, let's jump down to verse nine. They have this interaction, the supernatural interaction. When they came back from the tomb, they told these things to the 11 and to all the others. And it goes through the list. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told the apostles of The apostles, though, they blew it, right? But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense to them. Uh, Just so you know, I think it's two things that's interesting about this story. Uh, First of all, for there to be any validity in court back then, I'm not saying now, so settle down when I say this. Don't get too riled up. But back then, um, a woman's word was not worth indicting someone or there uh, for someone to be guilty of anything. Crazy as is. The woman's word was not. And so it wasn't valid in court. It wasn't legally binding. And so there had to be a male there. I want you to know something about God. Who's the first people that God wanted to validate that he's risen? We we, we just read it. It's not a trick question. Yeah, women. I want you to know something about this stigma that we have Christianity and women and men, this old school thing. And just like, I don't know where it came from. Back then, Many people looked down on Jesus because he allowed women to do ministry with him. That was like, no, never happened. And the very first people, culture says, women have no voice. And God says, that's fine. I'll have them be the first ones to see my resurrection. It says something when you read the Bible about Jesus, when you read it, get rid of your preconceptions and just let the word of God speak to you. But unfortunately, they did live in a culture where, and look at the apostles, they're like, ah, oh, these women I don't know that. Well, they were right. And it goes that from there, Peter got up, ran to the tomb, bending over, because we always think of this huge stone, like, have you seen the stories as a kid? It's this humongous stone, right? It, It wasn't that way. It's like these small little, little tombs. And so it would have been something that you actually kind of crawl into. And then it opens up and it says, bending over, he saw the strips of linen laying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. What had happened? It's hard to believe, Right. This makes sense, though, why Paul writes in Colossians, or 1 Corinthians 1.27, he said, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Women were deemed property, not a valid word, and he goes, I'll use them. What gets in our way many times is we think in our own strength and our own wisdom when we can figure things out. And I wanna encourage you, for you to get the resurrection today, it's gonna to take humility. It's gonna take realizing you're a fool, you're not smart, and you're weak, you're not super strong. That's the only people who get the resurrection and who get God. It's the only way to come to him, unfortunately. And we live in a culture that says, I don't wanna be weak and I wanna be dumb. And maybe that's why, if you look at our culture, we don't get a lot of things right, right? And so it says, this is who God chooses. But one of the things we see that's different than other world religions is that there are accounts of many people, and in fact, up to 500 people saw Jesus post-resurrection. That's different than almost anything else. If you look at whether it's uh, Mormonism, whether you look at uh, Islam, whether you look at any other type of sect or religion, if you actually go back in the history, this unique encounter happened where someone had a supernatural thing, but nobody else saw They just said, well, you got to believe me it happened to me. You got to believe me that this special thing happened. It's like, no, prove it. That's what I love about Christianity. We'll prove it. 500 people. Jesus wasn't trying to hide anything. He wasn't trying to be like, let's do a miracle. Let's make it up. A lot of witnesses. And here's the thing. If you got 500 people, there's always going to be one that calls baloney. On something, right? There's going to be one out of 500. You're not going to get all 500. You might get 10 of the really the dumbest ones that, you know, grew up in a broken home and just needed love and was looking for a save. You know, they're just, but you're going to have one that's like, nah, time out. This is not one. We have record of not one. So the validity is where God wants to say is, listen, a lot of people saw it, women and men, and that's why you had a change in history at this point. We go on to Luke chapter 24. He continues to validate The resurrection of Jesus. In verse uh, 36, Jesus, resurrected, right, goes and encounters the disciples. And it says, while they were still talking about this, so they're discussing this resurrection thing, trying to figure it out, Jesus stood, uh, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. So Jesus said, Why are you troubled? Why do, you, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. I want you to notice something too, that the scars that Jesus has in his hands and his feet, post-resurrection, he still has them. He still carries the reminders of our forgiveness and the cost of our sin put on him. And think about this, that doesn't change. That means in heaven we'll always be reminded of God's love. This is post-resurrection, this is the body of Jesus. Just an interesting thing to think about. But he says that, look at my hands. He goes, again, Jesus doesn't mind questioning. I have questions about you. Jesus never runs away. Go ahead, let's talk. Go ahead, touch. Go ahead, see. He said, a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. Verse 40, when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe it because of the joy and the amazement, he goes on further to say, do you have anything to eat? Why? Because ghosts don't eat food. I don't know if you know that, right? They don't need to eat food. They're spirits, bodies, they, he says, let me eat. Again, Jesus meets us in our cynicism. He meets us in our questions. He doesn't run away from it. And that's why as a church, we don't run away from it. You got questions. What I find is we won't run away, but many people run away from their own questions because the answers are brutal. Truth sometimes is brutal. And it wakes us up out of the slumber of what the world says truth is. And God's like, I got a whole new truth for you. But you gotta be willing to honestly answer questions. And so Jesus engages them and it says, "Um, hey, let's eat. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish. I'm sure they kind of watched him like, is he chewing it? Is he eating it? Digesting it? He took it and ate it in their presence. And he says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Listen, here we go, the next validity. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophet's, in the Psalms. Just so you guys know, what's amazing about Jesus is that at minimum, there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that ranged anywhere from 500 to 1,000 years predicted about him. A mathematician did this and said the chances of that are like one out of 10 to the 17th power for someone to fulfill all these things. That's why I was finding interesting when people are like, well, Jesus could have just read the Old Testament and be like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do each one of these things. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. And so it's powerful. And again, we see this in our culture, right? When people predict like what's gonna, and everybody wants to know the future, right? How are we gonna, you know, people want to know about COVID. They want to, how are we gonna gonna do this? How are we gonna do it? We always want to know the future. And God's like, I can tell you the future. I can give it to you. And many people talk about the future, but they get it wrong. God has never gotten it wrong. Everything he said has come to fruition. We see this 700 years before in Isaiah 25, 7 through 8. The prophecy is this. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people. What's the shroud? It's death. That's the shroud for all people. Can't avoid it. I talk about this all the time. Doesn't matter how much yoga you do, how many blueberries you eat, right? And I love, in right now, I don't know if you know this, but out of MIT, there's a, there's a huge push right now with scientists to try to get us to figure out through genomics how we're gonna live forever. You might not follow it, I do. I find it very interesting. People are desperately trying to find God through genomics rather than through Jesus. The problem is that we wanna formulate our own eternity and Jesus is like, you can only do it through me. So it creates a quandary, Right? But it's a shroud over all of us, right? We don't want to miss our kids. We don't want to miss our uncles. We don't want to miss our grandparents. We want to live forever. We want to be together. And it's like, you're describing heaven. But yet many of us do everything to avoid the very thing that we want, to be around the ones we love the most. And Jesus says, I offer that. I know, but I just don't want to be forgiven of my sins do Well, then we got a problem. <laughs> I talked about that last week. But the resurrection shows us that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. In Hosea 6, 2, 700 years before Jesus, he writes this. The prophet says, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Jesus himself even predicted it. So you're like, come on, those prophets, they weren't talking about Jesus, talking about something else. Jesus said it himself in Matthew 17, 22 through 23. Again, it's wonderful reading the biography of Jesus. Again, I encourage you, if you wanna hear from God, go go directly to him yourself. Don't even trust me. Go directly to him. I have no problems that the Bible will reveal God speaking about him to you in full disclosure. He says in Matthew 17, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, this is the disciples, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. On the third day, he'll be raised to life. Is that pretty clear? Like no kind of like, you know, he's like, But you notice when you read this, the disciples, did they believe him when he said that? No, right? Many times God says things and we're like, no. Hey, there's a heaven, there's a hell, there's consequences that last for eternity. No, hey, you're rebellious. And even if you grew up in a Christian home and you just think you're great and your worst sin is eating too many cookies that you hid from your parents when you're seven, but overall you're a good person. The Bible says you're not. No, I am. Like we do all these debates with God, right? Or we even debate him as far as he says, listen, my grace is free. All you have to do is acknowledge, dude, I was rebellious. I am so, don't call him dude, Jesus. I'm rebellious, right? But I want your forgiveness and I want you to give me eternal life and I want to follow you. We have a hard time with that. Some of us do that, but then we still try to earn his favor and love. We still try to be a good person and earn. And it's like, no, 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 you're forgiving your love. So we, we have a hard time trusting God at his word. We really do, all of us do. And the disciples did, just like us, but he, he told them on the third day he uh, raised to life and the disciples were filled with grief. It's like, oh, why are you sad? This is actually a happy thing. So we see that through people seeing him, several hundred, we see that through prophecies that have a mathematical impossibility of happening that Jesus fulfilled these things, that Jesus God. And I wanna encourage you with this. Be careful about telling God, I believe that, but you got to do more because there's nothing more that God has to do than what he did through Jesus. In fact, I want to encourage you with this. I've debated people in college and I've seen all kinds of stories and it still doesn't change people's lives. Some of you were around, some of you weren't around, but in 1997, and this happens every five years, there's a kid in a car crash and he's one of those that I went to heaven kids, like there's books about him and and I'm not saying he did or didn't. I don't need to debate the validity of this guy. Um, His name was, uh, what is it, Landon Whitley. And he he came back, to he was in a coma, two months, came back, told his mom, who's the only survivor, him and his mom were the only survivor in the car crash, said, I saw dad. And she was like, wow, like overwhelmed. And he goes, I also saw your two other kids. And the mom said that she was blown away because she didn't tell him that she had two miscarriages before him. Amazing story. But people are like, I remember in Christianity, it was like, is it real? Is it not real? Church is talking about it, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I don't care. Jesus was real enough for me. 500 people fulfilled all the prophecies. He said he was going to do it. I don't need more stories. Jesus is the greatest miracle of all. That's the hope. And that's the meaning for us. Because here's the thing. If you take away Jesus from this world, none of us have hope of ever seeing each other again. We can make things up. We can say, well, I started a religion or I started this and I think this is true. That's great, but you're gonna die and I don't know if maybe you're right or wrong. But when someone dies and then they rise again, that's probably something we should listen to. Probably, right? And what Jesus was trying to do is to show you that not only are my words true, but I wanna show you that eternal life is real. In fact, it's more real than the world we live in. Think about that. The resurrection gives hope that it's just as real or more real than the world we live in. He ate food. A lot of times we think of eternity as like we're just kind of floating like these spirits and we're just like singing worship songs 24 7, which half of us like and half of us like, oh, are we going to get some sermons or what? You know, it's like we're not that into music, right? Or some of us are like, you know, if you're a surfer, it's like, oh, you just served the best barrel for like 24 7. It's like, no. Like we make up all these things. You know what heaven's going to be like? A lot like this, but without all the sin, the chaos, the power struggles, the sexual immorality, the pride, the arrogance, we're gonna live with God, we're gonna do life. We're gonna eat, we're gonna be happy, we're gonna dance, but there's no sin, which, what's the problem is none of us can imagine a world without sin. None of us can imagine a world where nobody wrongs you. None of us can imagine where you don't have to pretend and be a front to someone. We, We just can't imagine it. And that's the mystery of heaven, but it's the beauty of heaven And it's the beauty of our hope. Philippians 3, 20 through 21 says this, but our citizenship is in what? Heaven. Heaven. It's not here, you guys. Some of us are making home here and we're putting everything into the economy. We're putting everything, even to our kids. We worship our kids more than Jesus. Their joy is our joy and God's joy is not our joy. And we're setting ourselves up for failure. Our kids aren't heaven. The marriage isn't heaven. Even church not heaven, just come here for about two times, maybe not once, but twice, it's not heaven. Our citizenship is in what is to come. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be glorious like his. We can have hope here in this world, but we can never have final hope. But I want you to know this, this is what the joy, and I wanna encourage you, if you're not used to hanging around Christians or being around a church, I just wanna encourage you, I think we're different. I think we handle problems differently, money differently, politics differently. I encourage you to hang around us. Just hang around watch. And not that we're special, but we follow a really special God that's greater than any president, any politician, greater than any leader in the world. And only he gives hope. That's what you're searching for. And here's what's cool about Christianity is, Jesus shows us the end game. I remember when, um, I don't know if you guys, Like watching sports, but back when Kobe was around, I'd watch the Lakers, I don't watch the Lakers anymore. But when Kobe was around, I'd watch the Lakers. But I couldn't wait, I don't know if you're like me. You know, like the game's over, but you're not home yet, or you're working. How many of you guys like to wait and just watch it, like you don't wanna know the end result? How many of you guys don't wanna know the end result? You just, all right, a few of you. How many of you guys, you wanna know the end result before you like rewatch the game? A few of you do, yeah? I'm one of those, I wanna know the results because aren't you nervous when you don't know the outcome? You're like, ah, you know, and they're up by two points, they're down by two points, you're like, oh, you know. In fact, my father-in-law, when he gets nervous, he has to walk outside. He doesn't even watch the game, he just goes outside. I'm like, well, then why do we have a TV? Like, this is the, you know, but anyway, that's something else, I'll see him later today. So, you know, but we get nervous because we don't know the outcome. It's like, ah. But the beauty of why I like knowing the end result is, when the Lakers won, I was happy the whole game, even when they were down. I didn't worry. I wasn't fretting. I was like, no biggie. I knew the end result. Some of us live life as Christians. "Ah!" You know, and everything's like that. Like we don't know the end result. Like we don't know if we win or lose. The beauty of Jesus rising again is he shows us victory. Victory over death. Victory over our own fears. And he gives us hope that no matter how this life goes, it looks like we're losing. It looks like the church is losing. It looks like... I mean, come on, through history, haven't we seen people try to crush Jesus, crush Christianity, and he just flourishes? Right, there's a famous philosopher that, that said what? God is dead. I think he's wrong. He died over 150 years ago. That dude's dead, and Jesus is still alive. We have hope, so we never have to worry. We never have to be ultimately down and out. Jesus wins. He wins at all things. And that's the hope of Easter. This is why we worship. And this is something that's new for you. You're like, bro, this is still a big jump for me, man. Like, come on. Like, that's fine. But I I encourage you with this. Are you willing to face the tough questions? And are you willing to engage? Anytime. Lunch is on me. It's got to be cheap, but lunch is on me. All right. But let's talk. Because there's a lot here that'll change your life. Because imagine if you knew that you were going to live forever, how that changed your life, how you view this life. Imagine also if you knew that you were accountable to someone greater than you, not yourself, but to a God who created you. That might tweak the way you do relationships, family, money, your time, and what this life is about. Jesus gives us meaning, Jesus gives us hope, Jesus gives us victory over death. Let me ask you a question before uh, the worship team is gonna come up right now, but I wanna ask you a few questions. Some of us have financial worries. I can see it on your face. You don't have to raise your hands. I can tell. I'm just assuming all of us do, right? If I told you, listen, in five years, you're gonna have a $2 million trust that I'm gonna give you, would that change maybe some of your stress level over the next five years as far as knowing what's coming? Would that, would that change maybe like, oh, even if I lose my job, like, what? You're gonna be okay in a few years. It's coming. Those of you in school and you're worried about your careers and you're worried about the future, maybe you're single and you're worried about who you're gonna marry. What if I just guaranteed saying, hey, in two years, It's already planned out. What's your perfect person? You list it out, I say, done. Would you be a little less stressed for the next two years? You'd be like, I think I'm gonna be okay. I don't have to settle for someone I don't want or don't need, you know, it's like, I'm good. Or that job, you'd be like, I'm good. I know in a few years I'm gonna get the perfect job. Or maybe some of us are worried about our health. And I said, hey, in two years, no matter what health stuff you go through, I'm gonna give you a magic pill. It's gonna fix everything. I guarantee each day, no matter how bad you felt, there'd be the hope of in two years, I'm good. In two years, I'm good. This is the reality of Easter. You're good. If you're with Jesus, he's forgiving your sins and you trust him and believe him that he died and rose again. You're good. No matter what this life throws at you, you're good. I wanna encourage you with this. Eternity is a little bit longer than your 70, 80 years here. Just, I didn't know if you knew that. Eternity is a lot longer. And the more you put your citizenship in heaven, the better you can actually live in your time here on earth. When you forget heaven, you're gonna forget how to live here on earth. That's the hope, that's the beauty of Easter. So here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna sit on that. We're gonna worship. You can sing if you want, if you kind of wanna reflect and take it in. We have communion, which reminds us of the love of Jesus. And so if you wanna take communion, maybe by yourself, you wanna thank Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, but you're like, man, there's something in my heart. Like, I feel like he's speaking to me. How do I know if I've crossed that line, like I'm following him? I just encourage you to take communion. Just tell him like, hey, I'm acknowledging, I trust you. We acknowledge the communion. It's super cheap. It doesn't taste good. But if you do it, you're really committed to Jesus. So I just want you to know that. But the communion is just a representation of God's love for you and for you to remember and trust in him. So we're just gonna worship. We're gonna enjoy. We're gonna celebrate. And I hope you can participate with him. And I want you to know that God is watching. God is with you. And that God is in you, leading you in this life not just in this life though, forever in eternity. Jesus, thank you so much for Easter because without it, our world really is dark. Without it, our health crisis becomes a scare. Our financial crisis becomes one of then no hope. Loneliness is one of those things where we just feel it's overwhelming. But a resurrected God gives us hope. We are never alone. And we are never out of hope. God, I pray that none of us would think that we're so smart that we don't need a God. I pray that we'd be weak and we'd be humble and we'd dumb ourselves down saying, maybe I don't know it all and let you fill us up. Thank you, Jesus, for hope. Thank you for eternity. Thank you for citizenship in heaven. We worship you now. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to gotoaccesschurch.com.